Shalom, and welcome to A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those that would hear, so that they would run to him, that they might be warned. We are here sounding the alarm that our time on earth is short, and that we have no time to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by, and how to engage in the war that we are standing in the middle of. Today, I get the privilege to talk with Pastor Gary Durham again. Thank you so much, sir, for coming. Thank you. It's good to be here again. And we're going to be talking about the end-time churches, the harlot church, and the the things that uh, we see going on in the church communities and in the churches and in music all around us today, and where that is all pointing and what we should be able, what we should expect. And uh, so it'll be an engaging conversation, I'm sure, and and a fun one. Um, Grant, why don't you start us out with a little bit of kind of where you wanted to go with this particular show. I know we talked last time about this, and this is going to kind of follow up on those same things we talked about before. Well, I think a good starting place would be to um, talk about um, what the Babylonian religion is, um, oh, you know, yeah. what what mystery Babylon um, kind of means when, mm-hmm. when it's spoken of in Revelation, um, you know, and talk about how the Babylonian religion, where it started, how how many thousands of years it's actually been around mm-hmm. um, in a hidden form, um, sometimes it, open. But, yeah, and the fact that it didn't die with the tower. Right, right. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> right, and how the tower was actually um, a curse that spread it um, right. because it was already being, it was already a religion. That was, that mm-hmm. was the, the beginning of it. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I know... Um, the story, um, but I know you probably can explain it a lot better, Gary. So, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but anyway, I, I know that you're pretty you're pretty familiar with it. Um, but I, I, let's just back up and say this: most people don't realize that the Tower of Babel, or some people call it the Tower of Babel, but uh, the Tower of Babel is actually like a second fall of man. Mm-hmm. Man fell in the garden, and of course was kicked out of Eden. And, of course, uh, a lot of things happen in the antediluvian period, which is the period before the flood. And ultimately, you have the Nephilim on the earth, and you have the pollution of the, actually, the human uh, genetic, uh, you know, environment. And so Noah is selected, and he and his family, not just because he was righteous, but that he was pure in his genealogy. Right. That's really if you, what the Hebrew is saying. No, no he, fallen angels are in his bloodline. Yeah, there's no Nephilim blood anywhere near his family. So that's one reason he's picked, because they can carry on the the lineage that will produce the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, one of the, the plans of the angels who came to Mount Hermon was in what they did was to try to destroy the possibility of that seed coming, which would crush the head of Lucifer. Uh, Interestingly enough, though, when man starts to repopulate the earth, uh, they disobey God again. God gives them one command, spread out over all the earth and, and, you know, and multiply. They refuse. Instead, uh, many believe that it was Nimrod, along with the influence of others, that pulled people together and started build, building what would later be known as Babylon. But it was in the early days, it wasn't called Babylon. But nonetheless, they started uh, and they wanted to build a religious center. Uh, the Tower of Babel was actually probably a ziggurat. 
Uh, and when it says they were going to build something that would reach to the heavens, as your old King James says, mm-hmm. that's not what it means. It is, they were not so stupid that they were trying to reach God with a tower. Uh, they believed it was a religious symbol, and they actually believed that the spiritual realm was just not too far above them. And they also believed that with a ziggurat, that uh, by putting symbols of the zodiac, this was the beginning of paganism, uh, you could, in a sense, begin to interact with these various spirit beings, these various gods and goddesses. Interestingly enough, God would come and judge them, and we read about this in Psalm uh, 82, I mean, and, and Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy 32, that God literally came and judged mankind at that point. Not only was there the dispersion by the confusion of language, but he put the people under the fallen Elohim as a punishment. And then later he would judge those fallen Elohim, which we're told about, and God tells those fallen Elohim, you you know, you are all sons of God, but you will die like mere men. In other words, they're not men, but they're going to die like mere, mere men because God is going to, you know, pour out his wrath on them mm-hmm. because of what they did in leading the nations astray. And uh, But the point of it is, is that ultimately we get to this fact that uh, during this period of time, eventually Seth, who was, of course, would become one who would uh, resist Nimrod. And Nimrod was the first, they say, a mighty hunter right. upon the earth. We believe that he was also a hunter of men. He was one who formulated warfare and uh, and actually killed people and, and conquered people and pulled them together and trying to create a nation and a city-state. And, uh, and, of course, he was trying to create a false religion as with himself at the top of it. He would be killed. We don't have all the details from the tradition, but he would be killed by, by Seth and those who believed in that you should only worship the true God. And uh, and then, interesting, Nimrod had a wife whose name was Semiramis. Semiramis is, according to tradition, we don't know for sure, nobody ever saw her that's alive today, but supposedly she was one of the most beautiful women who ever walked on the planet. And she could literally walk out on a balcony and just hush a group of men in all because of her incredible beauty. But nonetheless, when Nimrod was killed, she was in danger of losing all of her power. And so she was very, very clever. She quickly determined that she needed to come up with some kind of religious cult that would keep her in power. So what she did is that she was she became pregnant. Now, that we know would have happened through some natural means, probably through fornication with someone. But the point is, is that she claimed that she had been impregnated by a sunbeam and that therefore the child that was going to be born of her would be this chosen one promised at Eden, Mm. that he would be the one who would lead them back into the golden age. And he would, and he would also be Nimrod reborn because Nimrod who had been killed under a curse this is interesting because it kind of foreshadows some things that are later in redemption history. He was killed under a curse. His body was severed and sent as a warning to all the other city-states. Don't anyone ever try to do false religion like this again. Nonetheless, she does it, and then she uh, sets herself up as she is now going to be the mother of Nimrod, but she's also sometimes referred to as the wife of Nimrod. So this is why she's referred to as both. We find both inscriptions in ancient uh, forms and ancient uh, 
We find different uh, objects that refer to her as either the mother or the wife of Nimrod. She was considered both because she had been his wife and then she supposedly gave birth to Nimrod reincarnated, reborn. And so that's where, and that's kind of the basic story. Now, at the tower, when God judges the nations and puts them under the fallen Elohim as a judgment, he said, you want to worship these false gods? Okay, you get to. And then I'm going to choose me a nation. And that's when he goes in the next, very next thing after that is he chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to make a nation for myself through which I will reclaim all the nations. And so he wasn't giving up on them. He was just saying, I'm going to do it through a process where the Messiah seed will come. But when that confusion of language took place and man was scattered, that mother-son cult would go all over the planet, and we find it in just hundreds of different forms. You know, it would be uh, Isis and Osiris in Egypt. It would be, you know, of course, Diana and I think what was those? Diana was Rome, and Aphrodite was uh, Greece. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the child, though. The, the oh, I, I know that. Uh, yeah, I can never remember the name. Yeah, I know oh, that. One is Cupid, isn't it? Cupid was one of uh, them. Diana and and that Cupid. was the Roman one, and yeah. then uh, but that was Ares, and I think Cupid, and then which was another form of the mother-son cult. Uh, Aphrodite was a form of. But the whole point of it is that. Even when you get into China with, uh, you know, we were talking about this ahead of time, Grant. When you get into China in years, hundreds of years later, when the Jesuit priests first cracked the interior of China, they're shocked because they go into a temple and there is a statue that looks like the Madonna child. And they think, who has evangelized these people? They're already worshiping with the Madonna child. Well, it wasn't the Madonna child. It turned out it was... I think that—don't hold me to this, but I think it was Xing Mu was the name of the idol, and she it was part of the mother-son cult that had been carried to China, which was part of the original Babylonian religion. She has, of course, a child in her arm. We uncover these little statuettes all through the ancient Middle oh, yeah. East, mm-hmm. and th- they have to do with different versions of the mother-son cult all over the world. Yeah. I don't want to uh, spend too much time on a tangent. Um, <clears throat> I just want to touch base a little bit on the uh, astrology portion because mm-hmm. uh, you described that part of their building the tower was to put the zodiac symbols. Um, what a lot of people I don't think uh, realize is that um, astrology did not originate um, so much with man as it was God. God wrote the story of his right. of his whole plan in the stars um, when he cast Adam out of out of uh, Eden. Yes, and so he wrote the whole story in the stars. And so the study of the stars and astrology and and the original zodiac, uh, if you want to call it the holy zodiac, which we have lost um, to time. Mm-hmm. So we we no longer know how to do that property properly. So well, we should. We recovered a lot of it. Oh, we have. Yes, if you read so, the okay. if you read the works of Doctor Seiss, uh, his book he wrote back in the late eighteen hundreds. I, called... did, I didn't realize that he had. Yes, he had, I knew he talked about it. I didn't realize no, he, he decoded had a lot of it. And it's it. meaning. If you read the book, he he does all of the various parts of the zodiac. Shows you how it all unfolds and tells the whole gospel story, and all of its its decans and its different uh, you know lower houses and all. So this from stuff. from one of the things that I. Um, from I, I do recall from what I've heard about, you know, what he said. Mm-hmm. I, I think it might have been through you at one point. Um, but isn't the Immaculate Conception part of that? Um, yes. So that Vir- Virgo so, is the right. is the Virgin. So that would be uh, help explain why it was such a big deal that um, Simiramis had an Immaculate Conception and yes. how this mother son cult is so correlated. Like you know, they tried to co opt 
what what God's actual plan was. Well, they, they knew was. that story because right. it, uh, according to the ancients, the God actually taught to Adam uh, and to Seth and to Enoch the gospel in the stars, and they they literally, you know, they understood how the gospel was basically going to play out, how the virgin would give birth to a man-child, how the man-child would be the lion of the tribe of Judah, Leo, uh, how, you know, on and on it goes. And if you go all the way through, I, I can't, don't have time, we don't have time right. to go into I that. I like that, I didn't want yeah. to spend too yeah. much time. But, it's, but you <laughs> really should read Dr. Seiss's uh, book. Also, there's one by Bullinger, who was uh, a kind of a contemporary of Seiss. His book is not quite as good or as accurate, but it's still very, very, very good in, in recovering the meaning of the original Zodiac. Now, what happens is, is that Babel, they corrupt it and start worshiping the Zodiac right. and attach it to these various demons or fallen angel or fallen Elohim gods that they are put under. And so the Zodiac gets corrupted and the real meaning is lost. But Semiramis knew enough about it that if there was to be, if her religion was to be promising the golden, the return of the golden age, that she had to be in birth in a kind of virgin way. She was not a right, virgin, right. but of course she had to give birth by a sunbeam, so to speak. And, uh, and that was, of course, her way of trying to say, okay, now the golden age is going to arrive now, so right. worship us and follow us and so on. Right. So that I, you know, that obviously um, helps our listeners to understand more of why this is such a, a prominent thing and why it was mm-hmm. such a big deal. Um, and so, as you you talked about, like this has survived through the ages, you know, several thousand years, mm-hmm. um, you know, since the the incarnation of this. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize or connect with is that. The Roman Catholic Church took um, to that adopted that in. They they've adopted a lot of pagan, pagan practices over the centuries, um, uh, in in the uh, name of um, converting cultures. And you know, mm-hmm. as they, as they reach cultures, they they wanted to you know connect and embrace with their ideas so that they could call them Christian, you know, or Catholics, right? Um, and one of the things that they they embraced was the mother son cult, and mm-hmm. they yeah. essentially deified Mary. Yes. Um. And and put her at the same level as Jesus, pract in in all practicality. And that I mean that's why that you give hail Marys when you're, you know, um, confessing your sins. You know, and <laughs> uh, and but that and you pray to Mary. You know. Um, in the Roman Catholic yeah, they, uh, tradition. They, they made her, her a mediator, right. and she is not according um, to Scripture. And what yeah. that actually is is another form of the Babylonian religion. Well, yeah. and it's specifically talked about in the Scripture to not do that. Right. I mean, it, 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 it specifically says don't adopt their ways. Yeah, and, it, and, and we are told there is one mediator between God and man, mm-hmm. the man Christ Jesus said Paul to Timothy. And so to go to Mary as a mediator, uh, someone who can, you know, intercede for us to Jesus is absolutely unscriptural. In fact, guess right. what? Mary was in the upper room receiving the Holy Spirit along with everybody else because she needed it just the same as everybody else because right. she was not immaculately conceived. She right. was, uh, you know, human just like the rest of us. And uh, though she was obviously a unique person because God saw that she was living a very holy life as she understood it under the law, mm-hmm. uh, the Sinai law, nonetheless, she was a person who needed 
Christ's salvation just like anyone else. So go ahead. uh, I was just going to say, and certainly Christ likely treats her in heaven much like Solomon treated his mother, you know, (laughs) giving her the highest um, accolades and, you know, offering her whatever she desired. Yes, there's no doubt about Um, that. So it's not like her position is lowered. It um, than what it you know he he probably honors her more than he honors many other people that have followed him devoutly. Well, yeah, yeah and he did that on the cross too because he yes. he knew he was leaving, so he gave her a new son. Right. Yes, he gave her Woman, someone. This to, is to, your son to provide for her. John would take yeah. care of her until her death, and uh, she would actually live with him in Ephesus toward the end of her life. So, yeah, that's a pretty big honor too. You know, I mean, yeah. that, that's a way to make sure that he was honoring and taking care of his mother. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's also interesting, Grant, that some things that turn out really bad and lead to lots of corruption of Christianity sometimes have a good motive when it begins. For example, right. the the Catholic Church, it was not the Roman Catholic Church then, but early on— I, the, I labeled it that because yeah, there but, is that, a difference right. between Roman yeah. Catholic— and the modern Catholic, and what we would call Catholic as a universal concept. Yeah, as a universal concept, and also as the early church, which was the only church until you had first the Greek Orthodox split off, and then later you would have in the 1500s, you would have the Protestant Reformation, which would be another division. Followers but, of the way. Yeah, but yes, exactly. But that early Catholic church, universal church, uh, really believed in the power of the gospel to be able to take things that the pagans understood in part. So, for example, let's just let's take an example. December 25th, okay, mm-hmm. the, it was a time of celebrating the winter solace, okay? And they celebrated, uh, you know, the... Uh, you know, the rebirth, uh, you know, they, they mourned for Tammuz, and then he was to be reborn in the spring and all this mm-hmm, stuff, and that's mm-hmm. another part of the mother-son cult, okay? And so the Christians come along and say, whoa, well, wait a minute. You know, Christ was actually born probably in the month of Nisan, but uh, the wise guys, as we say, the wise men, the magi, mm-hmm. actually would have arrived somewhere in, according to tradition, they arrived in, on December 25th. And in the the Christ child was a toddler. He was. They were not at the nativity. Uh, they were not there that night. Uh, Jesus was a toddler when they arrived. And uh, this uh, uh, them coming to that particular. I almost lost my train of thought there. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, what were we talking? <laughs> so uh, the winter solstice. Yeah, sorry, yeah. thank you. The, we were talking about the winter solstice, and so what the early church did was they said, "Well, people are worshiping on uh, the twenty fifth. They're having this big festival, big celebration. Let's not take that away from them. Let's teach them the real meaning of the one who came into the world to die. The real meaning of the one." who, uh, you know, is the true uh, one born into the world for salvation. And so they just turned, they took the day of giving of gifts, which was what the Magi did, and they turned it into a celebration, uh, a winter celebration, a winter festival to celebrate Christ and his birth, which was not his birthday, but was the day of the giving of gifts, so that you gave gifts yeah, to the, each other in of honor of Christ. Yes, because right. that's really what the, the wise men did was they were really the first people outside of the family that acknowledged this is the Messiah. Yeah, other than Simeon and Anna. Right, yeah, right. right but, yeah. but that's when the acknowledgement that the Messiah has come 
has actually started to grow and move out. Right. Right. Because they, they, they were wise men, right? Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of power and a lot of authority and a and lot of And they had a lot of, of knowledge. They were the yeah. scientists of and the day. And so they yes. knew what all the signs were supposed to be. They knew how the stars were supposed to align. They knew how to read the original Zodiac. They were probably of the Magi's of the Eastern School, which Philo refers to, uh, who lived shortly after the time of Christ. He refers to them as being of the Eastern School, which was really the school of Daniel, the greatest Magi mm-hmm. who had ever lived. They would have known Daniel's book probably verbatim. <laughs> they would have followed the calendar of Daniel 9 and known that when the stars appeared at the right place in the zodiac, so yeah. that it showed a king was being born in the virgin constellation, mm-hmm. they immediately said, this is important because that star, it wasn't just that the star shall appear in Jacob. We always quote that. Yes, it shall. But it's because the way it appeared in the meaning of the gospel story that they understood from the original Zodiac, they said, this is important because there'd been other stars, but this one is the right time right. because they looked at the calendar. Daniel and said, there's only about 36 years left. He's got to come and grow up before he can die because mm-hmm. Daniel said he, after the end of this 62 sevens, the Messiah, the anointed one, is going to be put to death. And so they said he's got to grow up and come to manhood and finish his mission before he can be put to death and appear to have accomplished nothing, as the Hebrew says. Yeah, I see that as sort of the world putting their stamp on that he had arrived. Yes. Right. Yeah, and the the Magi were actually people who followed ancient scripture as they had. They may not have had mm-hmm. the whole. They obviously didn't have the whole of the Old Testament because they have to ask questions about where the Christ child is to be born when they get to Jerusalem. But they did have Daniel, and they did have his calendar, and that's why they showed up when they did. So, I mean, if you look at it, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's okay. But if you look at it, the you know, when he was born, the shepherds came and the angels, you know, were in the sky and rejoicing. It was worshiping God, mm-hmm. God coming to earth. When it was Anna and, and Simeon, um, it was um, acknowledging that the Messiah had come. Right. And when it was the Magi, it was acknowledging he is king because yeah, they right. brought gifts that you for would give king. to a right, king. Right. Yeah. yeah, they actually brought gifts for a king, gold. They actually brought incense, which was for a god. Yep. And they actually brought myrrh, which was for burial. So yep. they understood him to be god. And they understood him to be king. And they understood him to be sacrificed. Right. Yep. So yep, they're yep. very knowledgeable men. Yeah, um, I want to go back for just a second because in all of that, you talked about a couple of things, and I want to bring them out because I think they're important for what we see today and then what we're going to continue to see, and that is the the people around Babel and, and Nimrod, they were they didn't want to be separated from each other. Right. And that was their biggest fear is that because God told them to go out on all the earth, and they, they didn't want to scatter. Mm-hmm. And so they bought one of the reasons for building the tower was to create this environment where they could always be together. Religion binds people together. And so yeah. it was, and not only that, but I think they were afraid to get alone with God because mm-hmm. that's what would happen, right? Right. If you're all over the world, then you have to be alone with God for a time mm-hmm. and you have to, you know, trust in God. And what they wanted to do is they were very self reliant. And they mm-hmm. wanted you to be more reliant on self and, and on and on the group. Our group and ourselves are what's important first. Yeah. And and I think we see a lot of that today, especially in some of the churches of America, is a idea that build to build your best self, to build yourself up. Though this this uh prosperity gospel yeah. <laughs> is, is very much about oh, yeah. the self. Yeah. And if you if have you have your think, best life now, yes, yeah. Yeah, and if you think about how Babel and their idea of 
making our, you know, we can be like God, right? You know, be self. We can be this great people of our own, right? We don't need to go out and forge a path and, you know, listen to God and His guidance. We can do it all on our own. And then you go to the prosperity gospel that we listen to today about the same kind of thing. And I'm going, my my first thought, and we talked about this in the pre-show, is we're all the way back to the garden yeah. where Satan got Adam and Eve to bite bite into that original lie. Yeah. You too can be God. Yeah, and it's uh, as I mentioned it when we were talking about it, this is Second Thessalonians where Paul says in the last days, during the time of the Antichrist, ultimately God sends a powerful delusions and they will believe the lie. And the particular article is important there because it's not a lie. It is the lie. And the lie is the one Satan told in the Garden of Eden that you can be as God, determining good and evil for yourself, not having to submit to God. And so you set up independent of God, and it's all about self, and it's all about you looking to yourself. And so Paul says that that's what the world will be operating on when the time of the end comes. Guess what? That's what we're operating on we're, we're right seeing now. We're so many people yeah, that and it's invading are under the church. that delusion right yeah, now. Yeah, the world operates on it, and the world is evangelizing the church. And right. if you get to some of these charismatic churches, and they stand up there and, and well, God's got a message for you. He's about to bless you here, and he's about to bless you here, and all you hear is these things, right? Mm-hmm. You get no condemnation, no rebuke. It's just blessing after blessing after blessing after yeah. blessing. And... Many pastors stand up and say, well, God just wants to bless you to no end financially. And now I'm like, I'm looking around going, that's not in Scripture. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, he wants to bless those that are blessing, right? right? Those that are a blessing. He wants to bless those that are in his word, mm-hmm. right? Walking in his way. But that isn't everybody. Well, and Jesus well, the, start, those it, blessings don't always look like financial blessings either. Yeah. Well, absolutely you know. right. Well, Jesus said, blessed are you who mourn, who wants to engage that one today, you know? Exactly. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and for righteousness' sake, you know? When you're, yeah, the, the meek, the peacemaker. Yes. I mean, we've got all of it lined up very easily for us to understand who who the blessings are for. Mm-hmm. And it's not for the guy that's making, you know, a great business deal here and I'm going to get rich off of this and be able to buy another car and maybe a pool. That's really not where God's blessing is going to go. No, in fact, God could see that as a curse on many people's lives because it absolutely would destroy their seeking after God because they would feel so self-sufficient. Well, and many times this same guy, he's, you know, viewing pornography maybe or drinking too much or not being, you know, in in alignment with his home family. He's, He's got a marriage that's about to fall apart because he doesn't treat his wife right. You're not going to get God's blessing if you're doing all those things. That's right, regardless of how much the preacher tells you. You, that you might are. <laughs> get a blessing, yeah. but guess where that's coming from? Yeah. Because guess who wants to keep you in the spirit that you're in already? Yes, and make you think that it's okay to be like that because, after all, look how prosperous well, I am. Well, I'm not doing anything too bad because look at this blessing. Yeah, right, right. But, but, so how, ma- how many of those, um, you know, preachers or pastors or whatever you want to call them um, that— preach this like God's got blessing for you, God's got blessing for you, but first you have to give. Well, you know, <laughs> I got to get my percentage. Yeah. Come on, man. Did, well, he's, did, got, he's got to be blessed by you before I, you I, can get blessed. I, I, I need <laughs> my commission. Did Come you hear on. about the pastor a few weeks ago that, that basically lambasted his church for not getting him like a, like an expensive watch? No. Oh, yeah. He got up there and, and he was talking about, you want to know why you're... You're so poor. He's like, it's because I'm not good enough for your McDonald's money. 
I'm not good enough for your Red Lobster money. He's like, he's like, you ha- you you won't get me a watch. He's like, Costco has Movado watches. You know, it's like, oh and, gag. And like he was just he was just going <laughs> off on them, and I was just like, that is that is like one of the worst things I've ever witnessed. Well, I Joel Olstein's church was having people pay to have them pray for him. Well, yeah. I yeah, mean, come on. If you just send twenty dollars now, that then you'll get your healing from cancer. You know. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of that back in the eighties, right? Of of send your money in and you'll get your blessing. Yeah, that, yeah. And those people, some of them went to jail. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I, I consider that is just the epitome of the false prophet, and uh, they're they're not preaching the gospel. They're not preaching the wrath of God against sin and the love of God for anyone who will repent and believe. They're not preaching mm-hmm. that. They're preaching, oh, God loves us all. He just wants us to have a good time, and he wants to bless us. So, you know, just... Yeah, there's a ton of of sermons on he's going to save you in the moment of trial, not he will get you through the moment of trial. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between there is a difference. where Jesus is with you and allows you to gain the strength mm-hmm. and, and the fortitude to make it through a trial than there is to rescue from the trial. I'm not sure I see anywhere in Scripture where it says that he's going to rescue you. He does, he does. Oh, he does talk about saving people, but he says those who overcome will be saved. Yeah. In fact, in in fact, you can put it in the context of the half-brother of Jesus, James, mm-hmm. who was the head of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, he, he starts off his epistle with this wonderful but statement that we don't like so much, but in verse 2 he says, count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, yeah. because you know that the trying of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right. And then it's interesting, the very next thing he says, though, but when you ask, don't doubt. What's he saying? He's saying, well, when you ask God for, you know, the next word in verse 5, he talks about ask God for wisdom, you know, and if you need it, he'll give it to you. And then he says, but when you ask, don't doubt. What's he talking about? Well, God doesn't think like us. And so, you know, we think blessing is always God doing this, this, and this. And and God says, count it pure joy when you face trials of the many trial kinds because be I am turning you into the kind of person I need you right. to be. How else do you become the steel he needs you to be? Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, ever, I, the, the idea that we're so soft and so needy that we need God to just take our pain away. <laughs> I mean, that 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 really makes me sick to my stomach to hear. I'm yeah. going, no, man. I yeah. said, you at that moment need to pray for somebody who's got it worse than you. Yeah, we ever, have you ever watched, uh, um, what's the, the program? I've seen it a few times, but it's a forged in fire, oh, you know, when yes. they're yeah. making various kinds of weapons. But how, you know, you got to heat that metal up and put it in the fire and then you got to yeah, quench it and that's how, it. that's how you harden that steel you that's know right. and otherwise it's useless you know Pressure and, and, stress. and god wants to have a few strong you know quenched christians that'll be able to stand you know yeah i mean right. we're clearly told in revelation about all the beheadings that are going to happen yeah he's not going to stop that no people are going to gl- gladly walk it says gladly walk to the beheader mm mm-hmm. mhm but you have to have a faith and a life that goes beyond the boundary of this physical 
world right. or you're not going to do that. But that comes through all that trial, it does. tribulation, testing. Because that's when God becomes real. To, that's when God becomes real to you. And when yeah. he becomes real to you, it's not about this life any longer. That's why Peter would say, for those of you who have suffered in the body, the person who has suffered in the body is through with sin. They no longer live their earthly life for sinful pleasures. Why? Because in suffering, they've come to depend on God and they suddenly go, oh, I don't need all this other stuff. I don't need this other garbage because mm-hmm. it's all about him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why when I hear the prosperity gospel of the church today or I hear churches afraid to talk about the things that we talk about here, <laughs> I'm just like they're not preparing people. Yeah. The end is rushing towards us. Yeah. And and can it be can the timeline be altered or slowed, halted? I believe it can, but only through prayer and repentance and, you know, turning back to God. Because we see through Daniel, we see through Isaiah, all the t- all he said is, I just wanted you to turn to me. Yes, yeah. And you refused. And, and we're there now. Yeah, if you would turn and you would pray, I would have done, I would have... Interceded in a moment. Yeah, I would interceded in a moment. God is always offering that to people. And so we have that that one thing you mentioned, we must repent. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing that could slow it down is if God just sovereignly says, it's not my timing. Right. You know, but we don't, that's in the mind of God and none of us can read that. So. But everything that we see right now in front of us unfolding, it looks like the book of Revelation is just unfolding every day yeah. in front of us. And I mean... We, we can see it through the rumors of war. We can see it through famine and flood and pestilence and all these things worldwide right now. Right. I mean, unbelievable yeah, just, time in history. Just check, to be, just check the amount of earthquakes that are happening on the yeah, earth right I mean, now. It's just, unbelievable. I mean, everything that is written is coming to be. Yeah. And so when we're talking about this harlot church, the one who is against God. Right. It is a self-important church. It is a self-loving people. I think that we can see, if if it's not exactly a, a formed today, we see the roots of it. Right, and that that's where you know, I, I think it's important to um, to recognize that while it may not be in the same form. Or it may just be like a co-opted form of Christianity mm-hmm. um, that the Babylonian religion or the spirit behind it um, is has infiltrated um, many churches today, and I think we see that most um, when when it comes to worship. Yeah. Um, I, I think worship is the gateway mm-hmm. to get people to truly buy into that. There's power in the church. In the church. Um, the New Apostolic Reformation, I think, is one of the most dangerous things that we're seeing where they, in some ways, I think, you know, there, there's this need, like this this desire in Christians um, to see God moving and, and working again. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so often um, it appears one way, and yet the Spirit of God is not the one behind it, right? right? Um, I, we talked about that in the last episode. Um you know, when it came to like the Kundalini spirit and mm-hmm. and those sort of things, and where we see that emulation through worship, because the worship, because you use music and you use frequencies, and you can you can change people's emotions in yes. the moment mm-hmm. with with music, 
And then when the when the words have like bad doctrine or no doctrine or they're just repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again, it's like chanting like they did with the Aphrodite and mm-hmm. um, cults where they would just chant themselves up into a frenzy into this euphoric you mm-hmm. know thing and they they called it gibberish, right? Yeah, they called it speaking the uh, the language of the goddess, but it was actually just babbling, babbling like right, Jesus babbling. said. Like right. Jesus said, "Don't do when you pray. Do not babble like the pagans." Even not if, to be confused with yeah. <laughs> the Tower of Babel. <laughs> yeah, right. But the babbling of the pagans. Uh, he was referring to the mystery religions of the, right. of the ancient world. They mm-hmm. all used a form of babbling, which was just you know a static utterance where you got into some, you worked yourself up into a trance and and you and you commune with the god or the goddess and you started babbling right. the language of the god or the goddess and that was supposed to show that you had you were the most spiritual the in the room spiritual guy yeah you're the most right. spiritual guy in the room but strong spirit right. you know that's <laughs> a problem well and you know one of the other things with music is it's an easy way to bring the world into the church right because you bring the rhythms you bring the bass you bring the sounds the tempos of the world music, right, secular music, into the church that way. Yeah. Well, uh, the other thing a lot of people don't understand is that the Christian music industry is just a, like, it's basically like a parallel industry to the secular music industry. The secular music industry actually owns the Christian music industry. They just created new labels that they own mm-hmm. to promote these Christian artists because like you said before the show, 100 million, 100 million of us, you know, they want to get our money, right? Right. And they're able to influence these artists or pick and choose the artists, you know, based on what they want and you know, or what they're looking to promote. And there's a lot of good artists out there. There is. But they're also in an industry where it's dangerous to be a mm-hmm. part, um, you know, to when you actually want to stand um, your ground and, and be righteous and have integrity um, you often don't get the top spots. You know, you're not promoted to the the, the top of the charts, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, um, and they have every genre of music that the world, the secular world has, is now has a Christian side to it. Right. There's Christian rap. There's Christian rock. There's Christian acid or hard rock. Yeah. Oh, there's Christian. I mean, there's everything. There's Christian death metal, quote unquote. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> which is a contradiction of terms. Yeah. If I've ever I'm heard just one. Like, seriously? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're growling and making these sounds, just like you were talking about. Yeah. And I'm going, "That's not Christian." Well, they, the the interesting thing is, you know, there are there's a broad spectrum of music that can be used in worship. It's you know, for example, here at New Hope, we're fairly contemporary in our worship, but we also try to guard. The theology of our music, yes. and sometimes we haven't always been successful. Mm-hmm. There's been a few times that you know the the worship pastor got enamored with a song because it was on the charts, and boy, that sounds great. And you know, we start singing, it and then we realize, wait a minute, this has not quite got the message right. it should have. So I go to the worship pastor and go. Next, that's never to be used again. And he's like, why, why? It's a great song. No, no, it's not a great song, and here's why, you know. So we have to, you have to have a spirit of discernment right. because, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, having a contemporary approach. I remember years ago I was pastoring a church in Colorado Springs, and uh, and we had a lot of people being saved and a lot of young people coming to the Lord. And I had a young couple that was in their 30s, and they came to Jesus, and I mean, they were just so sold out. It was unbelievable. And I remember one day, uh, I, I got to noticing in worship, 
in one of our worship, we had then what we called blended worship. This was, of course, back in the 90s. So we were doing some contemporary kind of contemporary, what it wouldn't be considered contemporary today, but nonetheless, it was considered contemporary then. And we would then, of course, we would also do some hymns kind of in the old style, mm-hmm. you know, but then the, but the band would just, you know, do that. And then we would go back to something contemporary. I noticed that this guy, that whenever we sang the contemporary, man, he is on his feet. He's worshiping. He's just, you know, he's just, just alive in the Lord. You know, he's in love with Jesus. And the moment we sing a hymn, he sets down and it's just, he, he looks like somebody, you know, he just lost his best friend. I mean, he is just, he looks awful. So I observed this for several weeks. And so one day he was working with me around the church and we were in the auditorium doing something. And I said, I said to him, his, I think his name was Dale. I said, Dale, I don't understand something. Can you explain something to me? I said, you just love to worship. He says, oh, yeah, I love good worship. He said, it just helps me to really focus in on Jesus. And I said, yeah, that's great. And he, I said, but I've noticed that every time we sing a hymn, you just kind of close up like the sun went down and you were a flower that can't open until morning, you know. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, yeah. He says, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, that's not music to me. He says, I grew up on nothing but guitar music and, you know, I was in the world. And he said, I grew up on nothing but bands and so on. He says, that's music to me. He says, when you start, you know, that piano organ stuff, he says, that just sounds weird to me. He said, I can't handle it, you know. I said, well, you keep working on it because I want you to do, do me a favor. I said, when we're doing that, listen to the words and the concepts that are mm-hmm. being proclaimed. I said, I think it'll change your approach. And over time it did because he began to realize I can worship through what we're saying about Jesus and for right. what that we're celebrating about Jesus. Well, I think that's a really good point because if you look at the difference between some of that older worship music, the hymns, the, the hymns were about God, were about Jesus. Yeah. And they were about doctrine often too. But much of our contemporary modern music is about us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, it, that's it, one it, of the things that I despise about it. Like when, if there is ever a song that is more focused like that, I just can't sing along because to me, I'm not worshiping God. You know, it's got, no, you know, I, I just, I, I stay just you know, quiet. It, I, I don't, I don't say the, anything. I don't, you know, I may say something to you, Pastor, but <laughs> afterwards, but. <laughs> but there, there's a song that I really, really like and, 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 um, and I and I have to ask myself: Is it a worship song? And it's probably not, but it's a it's a good song to to listen to. I mean, not every mu- all music we listen to have to be worship music either. Right, of course. But it's I can only imagine. I'm an opera fan, so right, obviously. Right. <laughs> I don't see that as a worship song. Well, okay, so because it's about how I'm going to react to him. This is why I kind of wish um, Aiden could have joined us today because um, he's got a, a much more clearer perspective on it than I do, be, being that, like, that's his his primary focus is music. Um, you know, there's not every song that you sing to God or, you know, in in adorance of God has to be worship. Uh, you've got worship songs. You've got praise songs. Right. You've got songs of exhortation. Um, you've got songs, testimonial songs. Mm-hmm. Um, all these can glorify God. Yeah, um, absolutely. You yeah, know, yeah, the, and, old, the old anthems didn't sing to God; they often sang about God. Right, right, right. But, right. but yeah. and that's a praise song right. because you're you're 
you're mm-hmm. talking about the characteristics of God. You're you're praising the characteristics mm-hmm. of God. Absolutely. Worship is adoring Him, right? Right. Praise is is speaking the characteristics of God and him. and celebrating Him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, testimony is what God did for me, how He changed yep. my life, right? Yeah. Um, there, so there's definitely different. You know, not everything is has to be technically worship to be acceptable. And I wish um, that the and, and worship teams would start to talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wish they would go and you know, this is a praise song. We're going to praise something that God did. Teach this is people, a worship yes. song. Teach them the differences between the types right. of music. Yeah, we're going because in some songs we're going to sing to God now. We're going to tell Him how much we love Him, or, right? Right. Or whatever, and thank Him for what He did for us. Or this is a song about uh, you know exhortation to us of, to remember the Absolutely. greatness of God and the goodness of but God. But if we're and not teaching whatever. people that, they'll never know it. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean that. So I'll, I'll talk about one song specifically that that um, we do here from time to time. And and there was the like what, a year and a half ago or whatever, it was like this big phenomenon. The whole country was singing it. Um, and it's a good song, and it's actually straight out of, straight out of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's The Blessing. That's one of my favorite songs. Oh, I love but, that one. But that's my to me, song, I think. that's not a worship song. We sing it like it's a worship song, but that, to me, the whole context of that in Scripture was the priests blessing the people. And so when sung that way... I believe it's a powerful thing because you're blessing people. And when people sing along, if yeah. their intention is to be blessing their people as their royal priesthood position, right? We are all the, Christians to are be priests. blessing I, people around them, I think that's powerful. I completely but when agree you're with you. singing it like I'm just worshiping God singing this, to me, that's that I think God will honor the heart that thinks that that's enough, but it won't be as a is accepted or powerful as yeah, it it's would not be. the incense that you're trying to make it. Right, be. right, the intent, yeah. And and so, yeah, I agree. And I think it's important for us to do things with purpose and context. Right. And so if we just get up there and sing three, four, five songs, and each one has a different context or purpose, nobody in that crowd knows that. Yeah. If you haven't trained them and, and taught them how to how to hear and discern and understand what they're yeah. actually engaging in. Right. And I think that's why the, the worship teams are have a, a pretty big responsibility to do that. They're leading people into singing. So part of their responsibility is to tell them what we're singing and why we're singing it. Yeah. And old churches used to do that. Yeah. And it, it is, you know, I think the song, The Blessing, is an important one that uh, Grant brought up because... You know, that is clearly Scripture. It's clearly a command of God for Mm -hmm. the priest of Israel at that time to put the name of God on the people. That's Most people don't understand what that even means Uh, (laughs) because the priest, when he did that blessing, did not say the Lord bless you. He said Yahweh bless you. Mm -hmm. And he actually put the name of God on the people. These are Yahweh's people. Right. They belong to him. And so God, you know, Yahweh bless you. God turn his face toward Yahweh turn his face toward you. That's the word that is used in the Hebrew. Right. You know, now, of course, when a rabbi reads it, he'll say Adonai because he won't say the ineffable name. And that's fine. That just, it's just a form of reverence. But God never said we couldn't say his name. He just said, don't misuse it. Right. Of course, they decided that if you don't use it at all, you can't misuse it. So, well, okay. <laughs> there's a safety net there. Yeah. yeah. But the point of that song is that the priesthood of that time, which were representatives between God and the people, was blessing the people, and God was blessing the people through the priest, putting his name on them. Now, we, as Grant pointed out, we believe in the priesthood of believers. 
All believers are priests of God, mm-hmm. according to Scripture now in the New Testament. When you become a Christ follower, you become a priest. You are a representative of God to the people around you, and also you are one who can you know, as, you know, represent others to God through your intercession and so on. So you're a priest. You have a function as a priest. And so when we sing that song, every person ought to be thinking, how could God through me right now bless someone? How could God through me right now bless my family? How could God through me right now bless that person sitting next to me that's that I know is hurting and, yeah. you know, struggling? Instead, we may be, because of the culture, sitting there going, oh, yeah, God's blessing me. God's blessing me. And I me. think that's a lot of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that song has been co-opted in a way to to elicit that idea. Right. Yeah, and it's not it's not what it's intended to be. No, and and but again, I think it goes back to somebody's got to teach that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and it goes back, and it's exactly what you're talking about in this Harlot Turk Church uh, conversation is having the discernment to know the difference between these things because we are responsible for making the right decisions, mm-hmm. and if you aren't educated, if you're not, if you're not getting your discernment to the right strength level then you could make bad decisions unknowingly. Yeah. And and here's what's also important about what you're saying, J.D. Some people would listen to this and say, you know, these guys are really, really getting technical, and this is (laughs) kind of making a big deal out of nothing. No, 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 no. We are not. And here's here's why. Small things have long-range unintended consequences, you know. So, for example, let's just use a metaphor, a word picture. If you're starting a journey— and you, let's say you need to end up someplace perfectly in the West, but you start out just... Uh, two degrees. T- you know, two or three degrees yep. off of that. You know, three or four steps in, no big deal. You can correct that three or four more, you know, about six steps and you're back on track, okay? Right. But if you keep following that two or three degrees off for miles and miles and miles and miles, you can end up hundreds of miles away from where you wanted to be. You end up in Wyoming instead of California. Yeah, exactly. And so the whole point of it is, is that what's, that's what happened to us doctrinally. It's what happens to us in the practice of our mm-hmm. faith. We're just a few degrees off and people say, oh, it's no big deal. Well, yeah, it is because we're going to end up missing the whole point at some point. And that's one <laughs> of the things the church, I think some churches have taught over time is... It, that compromise. Yeah. We can't compromise. Not truth. And, no. and, and God has told us not to compromise. Mm-hmm. That, that we're, we, the truth is the truth and not one thing in the word will change and yeah. not to be deceived. Yeah. Right. And you have to protect yourself from deception. And even more of a motive for us is that truth is not just, not only do we have the truth written in the inspired word of God, which we know to be his word. The, the word of God said, uh, Peter, is theopanusos, which is literally God breathed. So God has breathed out his word through various writers, mm-hmm. but it's his word and he has protected it. But more than that for us as believers, we have the word personal. Jesus Christ is the living word, and therefore he is the truth. He is the life, and he is the way, of course, for yeah. us to live. So. If we compromise the written word, we're actually compromising the perception and the responses that people have to the living word, which is Jesus himself. 
One thing that a pastor said one time that stuck with me forever, and because I hear people, well, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable, or, or it's a little bit uncomfortable to think that way. And, I, and and he said, where is it written that God ever said you'd be comfortable? <laughs> That's good. That's actually a good line. Because it isn't. In fact, God has said, in fact, that uh, we may have to put up a lot of discomfort. What What was Jesus talking about when he said, in this world, you shall have trouble? You're not going to be comfortable. No. <laughs> but we certainly yeah. strive for comfort. Yeah. Well, God's more concerned, as often has been said, about our holiness more than he is our happiness. Your eternal salvation. Your yeah. eternal life yeah. is greater than this life. In fact, God loves us enough that if he has to temporarily afflict us to get us to a place to really depend on him and come to true salvation, he would do that for our eternal souls rather than say he's eternally doomed. And I believe we've seen that recently with mm. a couple of people in our congregation. Yeah, where, where God we've has— seen amazing turn changes. Yeah, cha- incredible turnarounds. Because of affliction. Affliction, because God used that to get their attention and wake yeah. them up. Well, and so— <laughs> All that to be said that as as the times become more difficult, mm-hmm. as the economy starts to fold around us, as food prices continue to rise, as energy crisis and continues to get worse, people will be, reach a new level of desperation. And as people get towards desperate, right, they start looking for relief. They start looking for answers and hope and and saving, right? Mm-hmm. And so this this mystery Babylon, this harlot church, is going to be there ready to scoop people up. And they're going to have the resources to do it because they've been making so much money through the music that they've mm-hmm. been producing. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be able to be the ones that say, just come here. We'll show you what God's got in store for. He wants to save you. Right. He wants to prosper you. Mm-hmm. He wants to make sure that you don't suffer along with those that aren't the believer. Yeah. Yeah, and they'll teach them how to check out, you know, because I, I, I'm i really concerned about some of the forms of worship that cause people to go into these almost blank states of mind, mm-hmm. and that is not Christian worship. Christian worship is a very focused state of mind on God and truth and That's so purposeful. on, and yet uh, so much of this Eastern concept of blanking out the mind, yeah. which really can lead in the, in the pagan religions, it sometimes leads to demon possession. Right. But the point of it is, is we're seeing so much of that. Right. And yet, and it, it's, you know, as a pastor, I fight that every Sunday when I'm getting up to preach the word and saying, I want you to come and think with me for a while about what God has said right. about to us on this. And peop- and and we have, thankfully, at New Hope, many, many people who understand that. That's why they're there. Mm. But we have, you know, sometimes people come in and they're not going to connect. And I can tell it from the first time right. because it's like, I don't really want to think this hard about God. I just want something to make me feel good, and then I want to leave, you know. We're coming to church Sunday to study for the test. Yeah, right. Exactly. One one of the reasons that is is because of where the Christian worship music um, culture has gone to. Right. Because um, it started out um, as, you know, there was was sound... uh, uh, Passable doctrine is probably the right way to say it, right? Um, the words where it was it was doctrinally sound enough where most pastors were like, "This is this is fine," you know. It's not the ideal, but this is fine, right? Mm-hmm. And then slowly they were able to just add a little bit here, add a little bit there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you get sometimes you get songs where 
there's a lot of good stuff in it. And then like, there's just like one little twist of truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like one, one example would be um, one of the songs that um, I actually have to intentionally sing a different word. I, I know which one you're talking about. I'm th- you you're know, thinking of the very same so song. Reckless Love. Right? I know. That's and, impossible. And, you know, so the, the, I mean, the chorus is great. I mean, you know, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God, yeah. you know. I always uh, sing it. <laughs> yeah, I always sing it relentless. Relentless, because right. Exactly. Because God's love is not thing. reckless. Now, in human terms, when you say he, you know, he chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, the, the parable of the, you know, the <laughs> shepherd who left the 99 sheep to go find the one that was lost. Um, in human terms, that would be considered reckless. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's but a for thing. God, it's not because it, God is it, infinite. It's impossible for an all-knowing, omniscient God to be reckless. Right. You can only be reckless if you're ignorant. Right. So <laughs> the rest of the song is is good doctrine. Yes. Except for that one little twist. Yeah, and, I, and, you, and that's what Satan and it's loves funny, to do. I know, and now I know I've got a partner that every time we <laughs> sing it, I'm singing relentless instead of reckless. Yeah. And I even suggested it to our last worship pastor. I said, why don't you put relentless in there? He said, well, that means we got to, you know, turn a, a, a you know, a, an eighth note into a, a two you know, 16th. I said, so what? Say it. Right <laughs> <laughs> so well, what? I'm pretty, oh, man. I, that's I ha- such a crime. <laughs> I have a suspicion that the writers of the song, like, maybe originally said relentless, and then they're like, oh, that's just a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it doesn't I, flow right. <laughs> no, I think actually what happened is, and. and, and or someone and, suggested and, that reckless sounds so but, much better. Yeah, <laughs> well, relentless agape love looks reckless to the world. Yeah. Right, well, right. Truth. No, that's true. And, and, and it is true that that may be what they're trying to say. They're trying to create a perception. God's love is so outlandish. That, you know, let's just use a word that isn't accurate, but at least it'll grab everybody's attention. He is so outlandish with the love. He's like, he's reckless. You know, he just does all these things that seem reckless to us. And if that's what they're saying, I understand it, but I still have to accommodate it because I understand that you can't take that as theology because it's absolutely would be a, would be blasphemy against the nature of God. And I get the idea that God, you know, God loving somebody, even though they will hurt him. Right. Looks reckless from the human point of view. It looks reckless, and if right, that's yeah. what they're writing from, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm okay with it. But the point is, we should understand that when we're saying but it. But that's also goes back to what I was saying. If you're not mature enough to understand these things, then you get a different message from that. Right. You get a message that God is reckless. Yeah. Right. It takes a level of maturity to understand and discernment to understand. This is what they're really probably saying. So yeah. this this is the danger that I, that's what I find saying. it. Well, I, I, you, I always try to believe the, the best if I can. Right, right. And I know that this, these people have other songs that are that are good as well. So I, I want to believe that they didn't purposely try to make no. God sound reckless. But but the danger that I think lies there is exactly what you just said. If you've got a new believer and uh, they they just got saved, and they don't know much. They, they I mean, they're just barely starting to read the Bible. Yeah, they're uh, in doctrinal kindergarten. You know, they, yeah. they sing this. <laughs> they're, they're, they're participating in this. Yes. And that gets ingrained in them. God is reckless, mm-hmm. you know, right. because they don't have um, the experience or the time it takes to have learned that that's not true. And so they can get a misperception of God early on. And that may or may not harm them in the long yeah, run, and, and, the and words, that may be corrected at some point. But 
how much better would it be for them to get a correct perspective from the beginning so that their yeah. foundation is not erroneous? Oh, yeah. so or or at least can... make it clear this is a hyperbole. And you, right. can, yeah. you can clearly create struggles for people without intending to. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and 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 let's hope there hasn't been anybody harmed by that. I'm just it's just an example, but it, it is again when we sing something that is theologically inaccurate, but we mean it maybe as a kind of a hyperbole to catch people's attention and kind of celebrate how outlandishly God has loved us, mm-hmm. which He has loved us beyond our comprehension. Um, that's a good thing. But on the other hand, we still need to be careful because it's true. A young Christian can be damaged by that. If they try to carry that over in their thinking to other areas of thinking about God, yep. they're going to end up understanding God completely contrary to scriptural right. categories. But going back to our central theme here on, on this this Harlot Church, I I think that um, they're, they're just going to swoop in and scoop all these people up that are desperate. And if they've been getting some bad theology in the church and they've been getting prosperity gospel preached to them and suddenly they're unemployed and they can't afford groceries for their family and the car is getting ready to be repossessed and the, they're going to go, they're going to be desperate to find somebody to save them. Uh-huh. Right. And we've already seen instances in our society of large groups of people looking to a man to save them. Right. In recent history. Um, not Not that... I don't want to get into all that right now, but the truth is, e- even you know our political spectrum, ha- ha- both both sides of it right now, have people they think are there are going to save them, save the nation, save their way of life. When and we haven't even seen bad times yet, right? Yeah, compared so, to what's so coming. So what, what really is going to be scary is if you're watching the world econo- econ- economy right now. The world economy and some of the major players right now are getting ready to go through something really, really bad. Uh, China, oh. China looks like it's probably going to fold in the next month or so financially. Oh, yeah. And what, it's on what, the verge. Where yeah. their fingers are at in our country, it's going to be devastating mm-hmm. to it's us. It's going to pull the rug out under our economy big the, time. The yeah. biggest players are making moves. The Vatican just uh, – the Pope just declared that um, all liquid assets um, that belong to the Catholic Church have to be moved to the bank in the Vatican – yeah, by the, by September 30th, anything yep. that is able to be moved must be moved to the Vatican Bank by September 30th. Yeah. Um, so they know something is about to go down. Well, and there's some other signs. Um, Chinese, All the Chinese students, foreign nationals that are going to school here right now have now canceled their fall classes and are going home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So things are happening behind the scenes mm-hmm. that indicate that there is really tough times coming. You know, my family from back in the Midwest area, all are cattle people. Mm-hmm. And they've been selling off cattle for pennies on the dollar because they couldn't feed them because of the drought. There's right. no hay. There's no grass. So they've just sold everything off. And, and yet, yet we're it, still yet paying crazy is higher than ever. <laughs> well, right. And, so somebody's and so, making a big problem. Somebody's <laughs> yeah. making a lot of money. But the, the point of that is they're selling off their breeding stock. Right. So next year, in the spring, there's no calves. Right. There's no beef coming. Yeah. The cows that were going to be born because these guys keep their cows over the summer and then into the winter, they're not happening. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see insane food problems and prices that we've never even 
dreamt of. Wait to see what turkey costs for Thanksgiving this year. Mm-hmm. You won't believe it. Most people will not have one. That's how bad it will be. Yeah. And so fundamental changes to our our, our society are about to happen. Financial changes. The housing market is getting ready to crash any day. Yep. yep. I mean, the bubble is just about to bust. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, if you look at some of the major real estate companies, they're already seeing it happen just quietly. So they're withdrawing already. We're going to see major, major problems and people aren't prepared for it. And so there's going to be a level of desperation. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see some of the mega churches and some of these churches that kind of are on that harlot church roadmap are going to just explode with new members. Right, right. Yeah. Well, some, oh, yeah, because people will be looking for the yeah. answer. Yeah, that's true. But I think what's going to also happen is there's going to be a line of demarcation when tough times come. People go one of two directions. They tend to – there is no middle ground. You mm-hmm. either move toward something false or you move back toward that which is real. And it will wake some people up and they will come home to a vital faith. Good. And uh, that's good. But unfortunately, what's going to be more attractive uh, to many people and most people because they've been conditioned to it is to go towards something that promises what really they cannot deliver. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there there is um, there's a, a social economic um, I wouldn't call it a theory, but an understanding of um, how people are in certain times, right? Um, and up until this point, we've been um, fortunate, and blessed, and wealth beyond imagine. And what that has allowed for is uh, is this breeding of what we see going on with all these crazy leftist liberals that, mm-hmm. you know, saying all these things and, you know, in in hard times or, or, or whatever, those people basically, you, you, look, you can look at it from like the survival of the fittest aspect. Those people don't survive. Right. Right. Those people are not tolerated um, because it's it's basically... Um, you know, I just, I, we need to survive, right? It's, it's a matter right. of survival. And we're, we've been in a society where there's so much abundance that, and, and there's, there's this level of capability of being able to tolerate them that they've been able to just thrive. And right. if you, the system crashes and it goes back to a place of like, it's about survival and only survival, they won't survive. They'll either change their minds or they'll die off. Um, well, you're you know already seeing signs that the current system knows that it has to support them because the ten thousand dollars they just gave away for student loan uh, forgiveness, which turned out to not be really student loan forgiveness, it turned out to be a way to get, generate revenue because right. now you have to pay income tax on that. Yeah, the IRS and tax code. So you get to give them three thousand dollars in January. Versus paying it over time like you would have. Mm-hmm. So it is really a bad idea. But the other side, there's the old adage, right? You know, hard times breed strong men. Right. And strong men create good times and good right. times create weak men. Right. And then and weak, weak men, men create hard times. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a circle. Yeah. Right. But here, here's the thing to keep in mind right now. There are 20 million people in the United States or yeah, 20 million people, one in six people that have a delinquent energy bill. 
Thousands of people per week will begin to get shut off starting in September of their power. We're doing this right as we move into winter. It's going to be tough. We were told a year and a half ago to expect a long, hard winter. By Biden, right? And I wasn't going to say names, but yeah. (laughs) But we're going to now see that. Yeah. And you're right. Those things that we've all been worried about with the drag queens and, you know, all this stuff, that won't survive it. No. But what they're hoping that all this will bring is that it'll bring them more control and power, the people that be. Because they don't really care so much about those things. They were just a means to an end. And Mm -hmm. we were just shown that last night because in, in the political speech, the president of the United States actually broke the law. Because he had Marines in uniform behind him on stage during a political speech, and that's against the law. Well, he had to— uh, and, and, and if you looked at what he did for a speech, how he his movements and his speech and uh, the backdrop and everything, the, you can go see it in Hitler's speeches every single oh, yeah. Everything I, they've I, been I, doing I, for the last year and a half is straight out of the, the Nazi fascism I, it playbook. It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But people don't have the discernment to catch all that, so it needs yeah. to be said. Yeah, it, and it's interesting. I know I, that's I, not I the show <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't think, and I don't think that the president has, in my opinion, the wherewithal to be orchestrating all this. I think it's the people behind no. him orchestrating it. I think he's reading what he sees on a teleprompter the best he can. Or what's in his ear. Yeah, or what's in his ear. But the point of it is, is that you're right. Everything is moving toward a fascist kind of, while at the same time, and here's the playbook, while you're moving toward fascist ways of ruling and imaging everything, mm-hmm. you're accusing your opponents of being fascist. So, which is absolutely it, right. It, which is part of you know the playbook of how to conquer America. Yep. You're supposed to always accuse your mm-hmm. enemy of what you're doing. And they have two enemies. <laughs> don't get don't don't yeah. believe that they don't. Yeah. They have the the Republicans, the the real Republicans, the strong ones, mm-hmm. right? They have those, and they also have Christians yep. yeah. because they have called us out recently. Even mm-hmm. the FBI says that the white Christian nationalist ideology is destructive to America and it is near terrorism. Yeah, and you don't have to be white to be included in no, that. No, no, they include anybody that goes by the true doctrine of Christ. Yeah. Yep. So th- all of these things right, we're talking about, ta- they are all pointing to the same thing. There are two churches that are going to come out of this. There's going to be the Church of God, the true Church of Christ, the followers of the mm-hmm. way, really the ones that owe everything to Christ and and preach the gospel. And then you're going to have a Church of the world that smell or looks a little bit like Christianity, and it'll have the Christian name, but it's all about the world yeah. and, and what you can get. Yeah, and what and what is interesting is that everybody's you know, we're hearing so much out of these government, uh, you know, and I'm going to have to use the word why they don't like it, but kind of fascist, ideological, uh, cultural Marxist type people that, you know, white nationalism is very close to terrorism, and yet they have almost nothing to point to to show them blowing up buildings or blowing up people or anything, you know, because, you know, all that's happening from a group that they don't want to talk about because, you know, it's not politically correct to mention that there's a certain religion that does that all over the world. Well, yeah, but when your FBI comes out and says that white Christian nationalists are the greatest threat to America, that's a problem. 
Yeah, because it obviously is, isn't true. <laughs> well, the FBI was a problem from its foundation. So. Well, yeah, but that's a whole different discussion. But, <laughs> but people need to understand, lines are being drawn. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, we've been told in the scriptures these lines would be drawn. And, and that's what I'm concerned about for our people. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to be marginalized? Because we already are no. marginalized, but we're going to be marginalized to an extent where we're not only marginalized, we're vilified. Yeah, I don't, we're going I... to be said that we're something we're not. And this is, this is difficult. It's very hard to be slandered and be publicly uh, characterized as something you know you're not. And that is extremely difficult. And if you don't have the grace of God to handle that, you're going to cave. And forgive it. Yeah, and forgive it and move on. Because otherwise you're going to become bitter, angry, and you're going to be out there on the streets throwing rocks and, yes. and, and, and you know and cocktails along with everybody else <laughs> well, thinking right. that's the solution, and it isn't. No, it's no. what the Bible says, though. It says the love of most will grow cold. Yeah, because of the increase of the, wickedness. The, the yeah. revelation only talks about a remnant. Yeah. So always... I think the lesson here is always check the church, check the the preaching, check the music against the Word of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, any time it conflicts, it's not right. Right. That, that's one of the things that I have on my uh, my. I don't know if you'd call them next steps, but like you know, well, you know, this. call to action thing. Before we get to that, I just want to say one more thing about um, about music in the Harlot Church or in the church period. Um, we didn't mention all the songs that we don't do here at New Hope anymore. Um, I, you know, it's it's a long list, and um, it's like a whole episode to call those things out and mm-hmm. to try to do that in a way where we just we don't sound like purely judgmental. Um, but one thing I don't think I think a very small amount of people don't even know or understand. Even worship leaders don't even really know this is that there's this there's this thing that most churches have to get called CCLI it's uh it's a church streaming license or or a license to be able to play worship songs um in in your church mm-hmm. um you know whether you stream or whether or or not you're supposed to pay for this license um and there's there's other um avenues of getting the license and be, but you still have to pay for it um and you're supposed to report what you what you sing um, because what you pay is then divided, and 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 royalties are distributed mm-hmm. to the Various artists. Right. Yeah. So when you sing these songs, it, it's it's not just a matter of you know innocence, or maybe you're guilty of singing a song that you shouldn't have. You're financially supporting them if you're actually following this this rule, this law, right? So that that's something I just wanted to point out. I wonder how that works with old worship music. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. After, after copyright law, after a certain amount of time, it becomes yeah. You, you, know, you don't have to pay anything for singing "Rock of Ages" because oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Amazing Grace is safe too. <laughs> yeah, Amazing Grace is safe oh, too. Good, good, yeah, good. if you want to go that far back, you're good. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. fifty or seventy-five years or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but anyway, so on to um, you know our action steps. Um, the first thing would be what you what you'd said is pray for discernment. If you're you know you should be praying for discernment about. What the the worship that's being sung in your church, you know the words that are in it. Ask God if this honors Him. Yeah. If if this is if this is what's what He desires most, you know. Um. And and I if, would do the same for the preaching. 
Right. Oh, yeah. that you should for for sure. Exactly. Um, you guys do it to me all the time. <laughs> right. And, and I want you to. <laughs> and if and if you if God shows you that your church is not doing what's best or is following down this, you know, you know, you have paths. You can speak to your your pastor, um, but you could, you should be praying for a return to righteousness. Right. Um. You know, God's plan is always redemptive. So, or His first plan is always redemptive. So He. It you know you you he may not call you to leave the church he may call you to you know stand up and and you know to, biblically approach you, you have know to lovingly change the direction and right. and you have to do it through love uh you have you, but you still have to speak truth but you got to find a right. way to do that lovingly and we sometimes have to speak truth to power and that's and with and that happens within a local church and sometimes within a denomination uh, for example. Uh, our church is associated with the denomination, and you know I've had to speak truth to power several times, and uh, and say to them, no, we can't do this. This right. is unbiblical. And uh, fortunately, I was listened to, although <laughs> they didn't like it. In fact, one person for a long time had a hard time being cordial to me, but then they got over it. But the point is. It's, I, as lovingly as I knew how, I said, no, we can't do this because this verse of Scripture absolutely forbids it. Right. And when I quoted the verse of Scripture, it's like discussion over because yeah. it was clear. Anybody with, you know, who could rub two IQ points together could understand that verse of Scripture. You know, you can't do that. Right, right. <laughs> so, and, you don't, yeah. and you don't do it condemningly. You need to do it in love. Yes, you have to do um, it in love. It, but. And the biblical approach is you know, the Bible tells us when there when there is an issue with you know you are to go to the elders um, that so that means you don't just go around complaining and saying we shouldn't be doing this to everybody you talk to mm-hmm. you go to the elders and you give an apologia an apologetic po- you know mm-hmm. give yeah. your evidence of why you think something is not the way it should be. And and hopefully with through prayer, God will use that to change their mind or change their heart and, and then change can happen because God's authority structure comes from the top down. Mm-hmm. Um and and so that that would be um the yeah. the the best way to approach it, um, because you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, you know you you want to try to um, try to get the the things that are fixed because no church is perfect. Some churches do th- some things really good and other things not so good, and you want to honor the good things, you yeah. know. So and you want to be the answer if you can. You may be called to be the answer for the things that need fixed. Right. So and that's why you know I even had to say something to a. You know, so, some people in my church this week that I was talking with who were saying, I struggle with this certain aspect. And I said, well, help fix it. Don't don't right. just sit around and criticize it. Be the answer, you know. Help fix that. I agree with you. We should do this better. So help us do it better. You right, know? exactly. So, yeah. You know, and so. Absolutely right. Be part of the change. Yeah, be part Stand of the Stand for the word. And be part of the change. Yeah, yep. and and yet too many people that say something they don't like, they go running for a safe zone somewhere, and that's that's what you do when you chase steeples and run around from church to church to the, church. The, the problem with that is that you find a problem everywhere you go. Yeah, because your fo- your problems follow you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so so that's an easy thing to talk to, right? Churches are are made and and filled with men. Yeah. Well, and so if, if you're running from a man problem, yeah. you're just running into a different man problem. Well, I, I may be among the few pastors that in my past I had, uh, I remember one time uh, a person comes into, walks into my church. I knew they were a prominent member at another church in town. I knew them. 
And I said, oh, it's good to see you. Why, why are you here this morning? And they said, oh, well, you know, blah, blah. And they started complaining about their other church. And I looked at them. I said, you'll find exactly the same problem here. <laughs> I said, you need to just go back to your other church and work on being the solution to that problem. Right. I said, I don't think God has called you to be here. And they were like, <coughs> you know, most pastors would go, oh, yeah, because, I mean, they, yeah. they were a, a considerable wallet walking through yeah. the door. Right. And I said, no, because I knew if they were unhappy where they were at, they were going to soon be unhappy where, with our church no matter what. Yeah. Because it, if, you're, if you're that critical and you haven't solved that problem, then you're just going to find a way to criticize something else. Yeah, absolutely know? right. Absolutely. But if God calls you... Clearly calls you somewhere else. Oh, that's true. Then, then yeah. obey. If well, you, there's a time you know. to well, say and enough. Not only that, but if you can't, if you can't help solve the problem, if the church just isn't willing to repair the problem, there's a time to come out then, and be then separate. You have to go find a, a church that is willing to walk yeah. with God. Yeah, if a church is preaching heresy or they're they're singing, you know, tons of heresy every Sunday, and they've been made aware of it, and they don't care, and they're like, we're going to do this anyway. Yeah, you may start praying about God. Where do you want us? Are we just be here to fight that battle continually because there's no. hope of changing no. it, or do we say, "Okay, Ichabod is written over the door. Let's move on." Right. I mean, you if know. God has it, called you to possibly be a Hosea, yes, then you better obey. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but the more likely warning is the warning in Revelation: "Come out of her, my people." <laughs> yeah, so you want to share her sins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but no, and don't be afraid to go to the pastor and say, "Hey, I, there's something that bothers me." I I've yeah. been to see you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I encourage people to, in fact, uh, you know, I've actually called up people who I found out they haven't been attending for three or four weeks. And it was like, oh, yeah, they decided to leave. Well, they didn't come talk to me about it. So I picked up the phone, called and said, <laughs> hey, this is not how you do it. So what's your beef? Let's talk, you know. And some, <laughs> sometimes that solves the problem. Sometimes it doesn't. But no. the point is there's a way to do things that God says this is the way it's to be done. And some people are so self-focused and oriented. It's just whatever I feel like I want to do at the moment, boom. You know? Yeah, and we need to remember that, a, that the the building isn't a church. It's the people. That's right. right. And And we are the church. This is the temple that we come to to worship God. Yeah. And... and we need to treat it like a temple. And, yeah. And we wouldn't desecrate a temple because we were mad at somebody. Yeah. Right. And, and and that's what we're doing when we don't treat each other with dignity and with respect. Because, for example, I, I try to remind, and maybe not enough, our people that this is a covenant fellowship. You know, we are mm-hmm. covenant to each other in Christ. And if God has called you to be here, you just don't walk away from that easily. Well, if something's happening you know? in your church and, and it's going to hurt people that you're supposed to be there loving, yeah, and you just run away, how much did you love them? Yeah, I mean, not very much. Yeah. So yeah. you need to check yourself too, right? Yeah. If, if you love somebody and they're being hurt by something, you'll fight for them. Right. right. And say, hey, this has to stop. You're hurting my neighbor. Yeah, exactly. And we have to be bold enough and strong enough to call and out there is, that. And there isn't a church in existence that doesn't need that occasionally because no church is perfect. They're run by men. They make yeah, mistakes. Yeah. I, I, and you've heard me say this before, but I've always said to people, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll run it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, well... All right. Well, I think that's a wrap for this. Um, and I, I appreciate this conversation because I believe very soon we're going to see it be a, an important part of all of our lives. And 
this is the, the big thing to watch to start to unfold soon, I think. Just where we're headed in this nation and, and in the world. Um, it's going to become an in interesting thing to witness. Mm -hmm. So this has been a Veritas Resurgence broadcast. And today on A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, we've been talking about the Harlot Church, part two. And specifically around some of the small things that are in our worship music words and things and things that we just need to have a discernment towards and be aware of what's happening and then again we give you some action steps that you can do to prepare yourself and to gain that discernment that we all need to have and we will all need to have great discernment in the future we are, we are born to have troubled times and those troubled times are going to cause us to be able to make great decisions based upon what we learn from the word so if you would, please take a moment and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to visit our new website at vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also find us on Facebook at A Voice Calling in the Wilderness. And do us a favor, recommend the podcast to your friends and family. Again, thank you for listening and have a blessed day.